0: Hey guys, Brian Davis here from Spark Rental. Super glad to have you with us. And I'm really excited to have Josh Cantwell with us. Josh is the founder and CEO of FreelandVentures.com, a real estate syndicator who has invested in over 4,500 units. Uh, Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on, man. Good to connect with you again. It was great to have you on our show
1: and I'm happy to share with your audience. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to to have you on and to talk about multifamily investing in particular, since uh, that is an area of expertise for you. And you know, we were talking on on your show actually about risks in multifamily investing, uh, you know, ways to mitigate those risks. You know, some of the risks that you see in the multifamily investing market right now. And I would love to just start right there because that's obviously a concern for for both new and experienced uh, passive investors in real estate syndications and multifamily. So let's start there. Tell us first of all about what risks you see in today's market moving forward and how you guys are preparing for or mitigating some of those risks.
1: Sure, sure. Um, Look, I, I think the entire syndication world fell in love with buying essentially at retail price with low cost of debt, in high growth markets, primarily in the Sun Belt, And if that was your strategy in 2020, 2021, 2022, then if you look at the adjustment in cap rates, cap rates going up, values going down, it's like, okay, well, now a lot of people have said, well, I'm going to get out of the market. I'm going to stop investing because values have gone down. That seems backwards to me. Because totally backwards. Cap rates are up and values are down, that means you can actually get a better deal today, yeah. right? And so interest rates become part of the topic to see whether those deals can be financed and cash flow. Uh, but purely from uh, a risk perspective of price, I actually think it was more risky to buy properties in 2020 and 2021 than it is today because today we're getting back to fundamentals. And some of the ways that we eliminate risk is number one, what I like to do is pencil my deals. I have kind of a a specific day and time that I wanna get to, which is 42 months. I have about 500 investors. We've raised over hundred million dollars. And I know if I can get my investors out of the deal through a sale or a refi in roughly three and a half to four years, they're going to be unbelievably happy with that investment. They don't really want to be in deals for seven years, especially if they're non-accredited. They don't want to be in for seven years, 10 years or longer. They kind of want to cycle their money and create multiple streams of income. So in order to reduce risk and get out of these deals quickly, we have to buy them and be all in at roughly 70% of its future value. Well, how do you really jack up and raise up that value by 30% in less than four years. The answer is, is, is buying in my case, buying medium or deep value add deals. Value add is the most overused term in the entire business because we're like, we're going to take our black appliances. We're going to convert them to stainless steel. And that's value add. Well, that's not value add. Value add to me is like, give you an example, Brian, we bought a 28 unit 60 days ago. It was in foreclosure receivership and we knew that it was in trouble for about three years, but with the former owner being in foreclosure receivership. And so when we bought it, we had the strategy to basically non-renew all of the residents. Okay. And some people would say, well, well, you have no cash flow. That was by design. Okay. And so now as we sit here, we're basically 75 days from the date we bought it. And out of those 28 units, we've hard-turned, full-turned, 21 of the 28 units. Oh, wow. And in the next 30 days to 45 days, we'll have moved out and turned the remaining seven. And so within 90 to 120 days, we'll have completely renovated the entire building, including all the commons, all the lighting, all the paint, all the flooring, all the LED lights, every unit. Every unit will have new LVP floor, butcher block countertops, white shaker cabinets, stainless steel appliances. And so you can tell me, is that more or less risk than buying something in the sunbelt where you're hoping that there's development, appreciation and jobs that move into that town and you hope that five to seven years later, values are higher. So the way that we manage risk is by managing this construction program for us. We've hung our hat on construction, and we believe that by you know, bringing in a 35-year commercial construction vice president and all of his connections and all of his uh, subs and laborers and then really dying in our supply chain and getting access to lines of credit and really standing up a construction program that only invests and only does our deals. We don't do it for clients. It just does it for us. We've mitigated a tremendous amount of risk because we can faster turn buildings, faster turn units, quicker hit our pro formas and projections, manage the supply chain, move out bad residents and move people in. So we're not just an operator, we're a hyper, what I call a hyper operator. I invest in my backyard, it's another way that we reduce risk. We invest locally in our backyard, even though it's not the highest growth market in the world. We're in Cleveland, Ohio.
0: I was going to ask where you guys were. A few
1: things, Brian, that we really do. We buy medium to deeper value-add. We own the construction company. We force the appreciation inside of 42 months to hit our pro formas. And I invest in my backyard. Those are things I think a lot of syndicators didn't do in 2020 and 2019, 21, 22 they were investing virtually in some other market without a construction company, hoping for appreciation versus the value-add stuff that we do. So those are some real examples.
0: No, that makes perfect sense, and you know, I I totally agree that now is a less risky time to invest in real estate syndications than a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Uh, you know, when everyone was super pumped up about syndications because uh, they were selling for such enormous profits. Um, you know, of course, now everyone's wringing their hands and worrying about interest rate risks and, you know, oh, what if interest rates go up more? The time to worry about interest rates, I think, was was two years ago when no one was talking about that risk, right? right. When, when they were super, super low and everyone just assumed that they would stay low forever. So I would love to hear your thoughts on some of the risks that no one's talking about right now, but they really should be. And I'll give you an example. I've heard a couple operators talk about how they've seen insurance premiums rise very dramatically over the last year uh, as sort of a, a hidden and unexpected risk uh, and expense that no one has really been talking about, right? And, and maybe now people are starting to a little bit. Uh, but what are some of the things like that that you see as risks that not enough people are talking about in this space?
1: Sure, I, I think there's a couple specifics that I can give you in our portfolio. One is the cost of water and sewer bills, are really? going up fifteen percent per year huh. for the next three to four years. Okay, that's been from our local water and sewer department has said these are going to be the rate increases. They're totally uncontrollable. There's nothing we could do about them. So even when we did a low flow uh, water program a couple years ago, we thought that the water and sewer bills would go down. They did. But now they're going to inch back up. So that's a risk for sure that we're going to see. Second thing for sure is insurance. No question about it. Insurance is going up everywhere. Um, I think one of the big risks, Brian, is that what if interest rates stay high for the next five years? The Federal Reserve has raised rates so fast, so quickly, but our economy seems unbelievably resilient. There's still a tremendous amount of jobs coming online. We're still not seeing a recession, although we're getting closer, that you know GDP keeps going down a little bit. It's going to be a mild technical recession, and I think our economy is going to take back off. And when it does, I think that uh, interest rates could stay high for a long time. The forward curve has interest rates going down at the end of 2024, about a year from now. Well, what if they don't? what if those interest rates you know are are staying at you know six percent for permanent financing well then your cap rate has to be a higher spread over and above your interest rate and guys that penciled their cap rates at four or five are not going to be exiting their cap rates at a seven six and a half seven um and so that that's a risk is that interest rates stay high for the long haul so if they can't sell how can people recapitalize? right? That's going to be a big question for a lot of investors that bought is, you know, their their loan to values might stay down and maybe their values are going up. So their loan to values are staying low, but their investors are going to want to get out at some point. And so if those investors can't get out, it creates a risk for them to stay in the deal long term. Their Cash on cash returns go down. And so those investors might want out and those syndicators and operators are going to have to find ways to recapitalize. So I think the answer, look, is, he who has access to the investors, the access to money is always going to have the lowest amount of risk. So risks that you might not think about is when you do come up on that balloon scenario, you come up on the end of a loan term. Everyone's like, I wanna sell, I gotta sell, I gotta sell. Well, not really. There's a lot of investors that would be happy to get out and new investors get in and recapitalize a deal. And so I still think it comes down to investor relationships. To me, that's a hundred percent the backbone of our business. It's the most important thing.
0: Well, you know that makes total sense because uh, interest rate risk, as you said, it affects exit cap rate, right? If interest rates are high, that's going to keep that's going to drive up cap rates, make it a lot less profitable to sell. Uh, but it also makes it more difficult to refi, right? Uh, so you know you're kind of stuck between the rock and the hard place of oh, you i sell at a, high... refi at a high loan
1: to value, right? You can refi at a lower loan to value, bring in new debt maybe get rid of your floater rate loan, bring it in a permanent loan at let's say 6%, but you only might get 55 to 65% leverage. So then it comes back to how, what investors can I bring into that deal to recapitalize it? That's what I mean about those investor relationships. I think a lot of guys haven't done a lot of transactions in the last year. So they've let their investor relationships kind of suffer and kind of fall to the wayside. I think they should be doing the opposite. They should be creating more content Developing more relationships with more investors, and especially if they're going to need to recap their deal,
0: right? So yeah, no, I love that you're talking about that third option, right? Um, you know, you've got the the rock and the hard place of oh, sell at a high exit cap rate or refinance at a really high interest rate, and you know my cash flow will suffer. Or you know, here's the third option. You know, here's the creative solution of I'm going to you know let some of my investors out of the deal and and raise new capital to to replace them and to avoid having to Uh, refi at a very, very high LTV at a super high interest rate, Um, which shows that there's always a third way.
1: It's a good message because you're like, look, we've operated the real estate. We've driven the value. We've pushed our value add program. We're getting close to our pro formas on our rents. I don't have any control over the Federal Reserve. I don't have any control over the 10-year treasury or the five-year treasury. So that part of our program hasn't worked out the way we thought, but that's totally, nobody could have forecasted that stuff. And so that but the operator did it their job. and so it's right. a really easy message to tell. we did our job, we operated the real estate. this one thing with interest rates didn't work in our favor. so we're going to recap the deal and we're going to get some new debt at a lower at a lower amount. we're going to you know bring in new investors at a six pref or an a pref or a five pref or whatever works because we want to own the real estate. Don't just bail on the real estate, right there's the third option like you talked about.
0: So Josh, you have done some some talks in the past about your seven commandments for multifamily investing. And you know we don't have a ton of time left, but I would love to just have a, a quick overview of what you see as those, those seven commandments of successful and profitable multifamily investing.
1: Absolutely. Here we go. Number one, you got to be in, all in at 70% of its future value, 70% of its future value. Number two, you want to be able to return investors' capital in three to four years max, not seven. Number three, invest for immediate cash flow. Make sure the deal spits off immediate cash flow uh, and hopefully enough cash flow that investors can get at least a 6% preferred return. Number four, always invest with an experienced operator. If you have an inexperienced operator, Make sure it's a smaller building. Risk reward, right? So, if it's a smaller, newer uh, operator, make sure it's a it's a smaller, less risky building. Number five, we love to invest in our backyard. Uh, I live in the Cleveland area, so we invest in Cleveland and Columbus. When COVID hit, we were we had deals in Mobile, Alabama. We had deals in Houston, Texas, Lawton, Oklahoma, Albany, Georgia, Macon, Georgia, and Ohio. When COVID hit, we decided to bring everything close to home. We sold off a lot of the older stuff and those other areas that we couldn't visit every day. So number five is invest in your backyard. But if you can't invest in your backyard, focus on the Midwest. I like the Southeast as well. The South, although it's super high growth markets, some of that stuff is going to slow down because of the cost of, of interest rates. Number six, make sure you plan is that you can refinance and keep equity in perpetuity, okay? The idea of cash flow is unbelievably critical. Cash flow with equity is unbelievably critical. Turning buildings makes sense to turn the money. But so even if you buy a building and you're going to sell it, make sure you 1031 exchange those monies and move from a C class to a B or a B class to an A so that you can keep your equity moving. Don't fall in love. I want to get to this. This is actually the bonus. So I'm not going to say that yet. Number seven, make sure you have multiple exit strategies. Don't just buy it to do a value add program and sell it. You don't get wealthy long term flipping real estate. You get wealthy from cash flow. That's where it comes from. And number eight, the bonus commandment, right? The bonus uh, investment strategy is don't fall in love with the asset, fall in love with the equity. And if you need to move the equity, from one investment to another, do a ten thirty one exchange, sell and buy. Do that. There's a lot of people right now that have equity in their buildings and they're married to keeping their old building because they bought it, they love it, they're, they're, they 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 want to see it through to the end. Sometimes it makes sense to move the equity to another deal. Prices have come down, so you can move that equity to a deal that has a lower basis, a lower price, which means you'll probably get more cash flow. Than in the existing deal that you have. Okay. So 70% of future value, return uh, investor equity in four years or less, immediate cash flow experience, operator, invest in your backyard, get equity in perpetuity, have multiple exit strategies, and fall in love
0: with the equity, not the asset. I love those. (laughs) I love, I love, and I love how quickly you managed to go through those without skimping on them too much. You know, I think we we got the message for each one and it's perfect. I do have a follow-up question for you uh, before we wrap up. Uh, You mentioned doing 1031 exchanges. I actually haven't seen any sponsors offered deals that are designed for 1031 exchanges to non-accredited investors. But I understand that you uh, work with non-accredited investors. You do, all your deals are 506B. So do you design some of these deals as 1031 exchange deals from the very beginning and make those available to non-accredited investors?
1: We always want to make that an option, right? I believe that as a sponsor, my job is to listen to the marketplace and then p- create programs, investments, products that investors want, that the consumer wants. And so the answer is Yes. We go into deals, uh, always thinking, can we bring in 1031 tick dollars? Or when we exit the deal, can we exit them with the intention of doing 1031 exchange? So that's always part of the conversation every single time, even for non-accredited, because we feel like if people are going to exit the deal, what do they really want to do with the money? They just want to create more cash flow. They just want to get a better return. They want to make another good investment decision. And if they can move from our deal to another one of our deals, and it's a better way to use the equity, that's what we're going to do. So we're absolutely structuring deals for both
0: 1031 coming in and 1031 going out. I love it. Uh, Josh, where can people learn more about you and Freeland Ventures? You know, how can they connect with you if they want to invest with you guys?
1: Uh, absolutely. Just our main website, freelandventures.com. There you'll see the tabs across the top and they can see our portfolio, access to our podcast, as well as being able to register on our investor portal. Uh, I've created like 700 videos on our YouTube channel. We've had 500 episodes of our podcast. It's amazing content. And there you can also join our investor list, see our portfolio as well. So freelandventures.com.
0: Well, I'm super excited to check out some of the deals that you guys are doing and maybe we can invest in some of those deals in our co-investing club. So Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. Awesome, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So guys, please, if you enjoy these conversations that we have, rate review the podcast on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts, keep in touch with us. Let us know what kind of conversations you want to hear from us in the future. Email us support at sparkrental.com and we will catch you on the flip side. Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the flip side.